Canaan. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Canaan Podcast, and I'm here with Pastor Martin, and uh, today we are talking about sanctification. Uh, This past Sunday in our message, you know, we we looked at Romans 12, where the Apostle Paul tells us to not be conformed anymore to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we're talking about that process, and so, uh, Pastor Martin, if we get things kicked off today... um, How would you define sanctification? Well, when I look at that word um, that comes from the word to be set apart or holy in the Greek, uh, it seems like it has two two meanings. When you look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, both of those passages say that the Corinthian believers were already sanctified. So in some way, Um, there was a sanctification that had already happened. And people have kind of tussled with what these ideas mean. And the Reformed view is that that's called definitive sanctification. At the moment that a person became a believer in Jesus Christ, um, they were born again, regenerate, they received the Holy Spirit of God, and so they're no longer slaves to sin. They've been made brand new. And so that's the definitive side of sanctification. On the other side of it, we also know there's a progressive aspect to it. So um, as a believer grows in the faith, they work towards putting off the deeds of the flesh, like Paul talks about in Galatians 5, and walking in the Spirit. That looks a certain way. Paul talks in Galatians chapter 5 about if you walk in the Spirit, you'll no longer do the deeds of the flesh. And he gives a whole list of things, right, that are sinful there. And then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit that is the antithesis of that. And so both definitive and progressive, I think, are both ideas. But we mainly focus, I think, on the progressive side of things. You know, I, mm. I'm i not the same as I used to be. God gave me a new heart and a new mind and new desires as a believer to follow him. Yeah. And so I'm growing in that. Does that yeah, make sense? So, right. Absolutely. So definitive sanctification is very similar to another term we use called justification. Certainly. It is that moment in time. When a person is born again, when a person places their faith in Christ, when they're, you know, use the word regenerated, when, you know, John 3, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, uh, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again or born from above, right? And that born from above is that regenerative work of the, of the spirit of God in our hearts where we're, our, we're enlightened, we're, you know, we're, Jesus says, no one comes unless the, the Father draws him where we're drawn. And so that's that moment in time when we're born again, adopted in the family of God, forgiven of our sins, right? That's that moment in time. So, yeah, I see the definitive sanctification right. and justification being very, Persim- almost, almost synonyms, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, so the progressive sanctification, which is really what we were talking about Sunday, right. is that it's an ongoing process. And I've heard it put simply like this, is that... When we're justified, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Being sanctified is that process where we are being saved from the power of sin. Right. And then at the end, you have the third component of salvation, which is glorification. And that's where we're saved from the very presence of sin. Right. So I've heard it explained like that. And I like that a lot. So this is good theology, good theological conversation that I think a lot of times people get confused on justification or the definitive sanctification from the progressive sanctification, right? 
Because once you're saved, you are completely forgiven. Right. You are in God's in God's eyes, Jesus has become your substitute. So he has right. he has atoned for your sin. So the Father, when he looks at you, sees Jesus. And so you are completely innocent in his sight. Right. But then Paul also says things like walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right. All of these are sanctification, the progressive mm-hmm. sanctification concepts. Another another way we can talk about this is growing in growing in holiness. Mm-hmm. You know, where we're we're growing in our um, reliance upon the Holy Spirit. We're growing in our knowledge of who God is. We're growing in a relationship with God so that how we live is continuously being changed, continuously being impacted so we better reflect glory to Christ. So that's, in my mind, that's sanctification. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And wouldn't you say like, I mean, <clears throat> in a sense, the idea of justification, being declared righteous because of the work of Christ takes the pressure off. Absolutely. You know, so I don't have to please God in the flesh. I get to please God in the flesh as I grow in my sanctification. So versus like, you know, Romans six that says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Right. Um, The implication there is that it can, we, we can choose to walk in the flesh as believers, but Paul's encouraging us. No grow. Sin no longer has power over you, right? Mm-hmm. You've been released from that. And so there are these reminders that, no, we don't have to walk in the flesh anymore. We've been made new. We have been set free. And so we can walk in a way that makes us worthy of the gospel. Um, yeah. John talks about that as well in First John. So, But I, I like what you said there earlier, and people can get confused on that and think, well, if I don't do certain things, um, that must mean I'm not a Christian. But right. Faith lives from its object, and the only place you can place your faith in is is Jesus Christ. That's right. That's the only place. Absolutely. So, yeah, and that's you know in Galatians, Paul says, just as you were saved, continue to walk in Him. You know exactly. So that sanctification process, the progressive sanctification, mm-hmm. is really the same as the justification. It's by faith, trusting in Christ, admitting I'm a sinner, admitting my need for Christ, and. So that's where we get this concept that the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A through Z because just the way we're justified through the gospel, we're also sanctified through the gospel. Absolutely. You know? And um, so, yeah, it's just that ongoing relationship building uh, with Christ. And yeah, so that's, that can be a, and, and you, I want to just touch back on something you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's so important, you know, and I, I may twist, I may not even get what you said exactly right, but you alluded to the performance concept, right? Like the pressure's off. Like, I don't have to do this to gain God's favor. Right. I already have God's favor because of Christ. So Christianity is not about performance. It's not about I've got to score a certain score or, you know, get a certain rating, <laughs> right, to be for God to let me in. You're, we're already in because of Jesus through faith. Mm-hmm. But now growing in Christ, the sanctification is, hey, now that I am in the family, now that I am in the faith, you know, let me grow. So the perfect analogy is a human physical life. You know, we're, there's no doubt everybody knows their birthday, you know, may not remember our birthday, but we know the day we were born, right? It was right. Like one time in a moment, but then immediately the growth process began, mm. you know, so, so just as we're born spiritually, we also now grow spiritually. So, um, just to, you know, God gives, and that's what Jesus said, those, which is born the flesh is flesh, that's born the spirit is spirit. And so he alludes to the, to the, the both parts of life, the physical and the right. spiritual there. Very, very similar. 
That's good. Well, let's let's shift gears here and let's talk let's talk practicality. So, um, you know, this past Sunday we heard Bev Bosma's testimony, and it was really part. It was partly her justification testimony, but then also her sanctification story of you know um, being saved out of a, a life of alcoholism, and then you know getting plugged into the body of Christ, growing in the Lord, meeting her husband, Jeff, who's just a great, great godly man. And just, you know, it's just an ongoing sanctification process there. But she alluded to you know, some tough things she had to go through in her life. Um, so what what about you? Put you on the spot here. What, mm-hmm. how was, what was a circumstance or part of your life story that God really leveraged um, to do a powerful transformational work in your life? When I came to know Jesus, I was 17 years old and I'd grown up in church. So I'd always been exposed to the gospel. I could tell you what it was like in theory, I could give you pretty good definitions. You'd probably want to put a sticker on my head for all the verses I'd memorized. You know, I, I could do that performance stuff, but I really had never repented of sin. Um, I'd really never even realized the depth of my sin, the holiness of God, my separation from him and my need for Jesus. And so when I was 17, that moment happened. And I, I remember it like it was yesterday, very definitive moment in time. <clears throat> and what happened is in that moment, when I was born again, almost immediately, it seemed like my desires began to change. Now, I had had 17 years of putting bad things in, certain things, and so it was going to take a while for God to sanctify me over time, the progressive side of sanctification, to get certain things out. One thing that I dealt with was foul language. I mean, I just really struggled with it. Um, I played, I was a three-sport athlete, and it was so commonplace in the school that I went that I just, I, I cursed a lot. I really did. And I struggled with that for a long time. The difference was when I was born again, I didn't want to curse anymore. Like it had changed my heart's attitude toward it. I knew it was a problem before I didn't care, but I I began to recognize it as a problem. The sin issue was in my life. And when I went off to college to play baseball uh, at Three Rivers Community College down in Poplar Bluff, I realized it was actually becoming a stumbling block to people I was trying to share the gospel with. And I remember a moment in time when it was late at night after practice and I was at the back of the parking lot in Three Rivers parking lot. I was by myself in my truck and I just cried out to God. I remember and I said, I cannot stop saying things that I don't want. God, I need you. Mm. And in that, I'm not kidding, in that moment. Um, I can only point to a couple times in my life where I feel like in the moment I had a prayer answered, the Lord took that issue away from me. Mm. I didn't have the desire to swear anymore, to use foul language. And it was, I kid you not, Daniel, it was gone. Mm. It was gone. But now that was three years later, you know? And and over time, God got me to that point where I could not live any longer with this sin in my life. And he took it from me. So that was a great time. You know, it's a great story for for my personal walk. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? Yeah, I I think one of the the key sanctifying moments for me was I really had a wake-up call. You know, so I grew up in church and... um, so I became a believer at a young age, professed faith in Christ, you know, and I always knew God was with me. Uh, I believe it to have been a real genuine faith, but I was also very casual, very apathetic in my faith as well. Like when I would go to school, my first goal was not to evangelize my friends. In fact, I was pretty quiet about my faith intentionally to my shame, you know, um, 
just because I didn't want that to be a big deal. I didn't, I wanted to have friends. I didn't want to isolate myself because of the gospel. I just had all the wrong motivations. Right. So I got off to college and, um, it was actually during my, my junior year, uh, at the, uh, at the Academy, we go off on this retreat and, uh, some, some of my buddies and I, we, we signed up for like every religious group that we thought was Christian just because it gave us a free pass to get off of campus. Right. <laughs> it was in military, you know, it was just a kind of a lockdown yeah. <laughs> deal. So we actually go to this one retreat and, and I didn't know at the time, but it was a cult. It was part of the Boston Church of Christ movement, which is very cultish. We didn't know that then. So we go to this retreat and um, we go to like this big opening worship service. It, it sounded good. You know, one of uh, one of my best friend's roommates, that was our connection. He actually he actually spoke. And he so he he preached a message and it sounded OK to me. And I, I didn't really have discerning ears at the time, but it sounded OK. It was after that though we they had like a big fellowship, big cookout thing, and so uh, one of my buddies and I we were eating a hamburger, just sitting down, and all of a sudden this older gentleman who's part of that church uh, was an elder of that church came, just started talking to us, and he asked the question. He said, well, "Are you saved?" And you know my buddy and I both have been grown up Baptists, and so we just kind of fed them what had been taught us. But yeah, we're saved. He said, "Well, how do you how do you know that you're saved?" I said, well, you know, we, we asked Jesus in our heart and he was sitting probably about six feet from us. And when we said that, I, I could even tell then that was just a trigger. He was waiting for that. So he threw, he literally threw a Bible into my, into our lap and said, I want you to look that up and show me where it says that. Wow. Show me where it says you get saved when you ask Jesus in your heart. So we're thumbing through scripture. We have no idea. You know, all we're doing is regurgitating things that have been taught us. Neither one of us could point to the scriptures and biblically justify how we knew we were saved. Well, that, that it was kind of a back and forth for about 30 minutes. And before it was over, there were seven of their elders circle encircling us. We were in the middle I felt like back in high school football, there used to be a drill called bull in the ring where, you know, wow. you get hit from all sides. Um, <laughs> that's what I felt like. And that shook my friend and I. I mean, it rattled us mm. to our absolute core. Um, so after about an hour, we just kind of got up and walked off. I mean, we were we were crying. We were upset. I was questioning everything I had ever been taught because wow. I could not show anything of that in scripture. Um, so we go back to our little room, you know, and we just go to bed. It's only like nine o'clock, we just, but, but we don't go to sleep. I, I've got my Bible, had the old NIV study Bible. And man, I'm, I'm reading like the new Testament. I think I covered the whole new Testament that night. Right. <laughs> but, but God brought me to Galatians. And they were teaching the, the guy was really teaching more of a works-based theology where they don't see the difference between a definitive and a progressive sanctification. Right. They kind of see it all as the same. But I was going through that and I get to Galatians chapter three, and it's like the Spirit of God just illuminated this verse for me, just said, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Just New King, I think this is NIV or New King James, remember, who has bewitched you? So let me ask you this. Did that which you receive through faith in the spirit, do you now maintain through works of the flesh? Yeah. And I remember, and this is after a couple of hours of reading, crying, praying, 
confused, wondering if I'm really saved, if this whole thing's even real. And I, I got to there. And in that moment, I just experienced this incredible peace, which truly does surpass understanding. Praise right? God. They just overcame me. I shared it with my buddy. Um, his name's Mark. And we we got up right then and we just left. We left the whole retreat, drove back you know, to, to campus. But that was a major turning point in my life, not just theologically and understanding my salvation, but I look at practically up to that point. I mean, yeah, I, I claim the name of Christ and I believe, but you know, I I could lust and not be convicted. At least I learned how to suppress that. Sure. But after that, I was so much more sensitive to the sin in my life. That was a sanctifying moment. What a great story. Me. Yeah. Yep. And you know, out of that, I it really emerged just one major thought that I wrote down uh, in a journal way back then. I said it's 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 important to know what you believe. But it's even more important to know why you believe what you Amen. believe. You know, I being agree. able to take the truth we're taught mm-hmm. back to Scripture because Scriptures right. are that's our that's our plumb line. You know, that's that is right. our canon, our our measuring rod, our standard for all truth. And I will never forget that as long as I live. Yeah. Just how God really used such an upsetting, confusing, panicky spiritual moment for mm-hmm. me, questioning everything I've been taught. So all of a sudden, taking that as the opportunity to really root me in His Word. Isn't it interesting how the Lord will take those really difficult times in our life or situations and turn those into great things? Absolutely. And He promises us to do that. Yeah. You know, He does. Romans 8, we go to that so many times for good reason, where Paul writes, we know God works all things things. together for the good of those who love Him. Those are the called according to His purpose. And we know that good, verse 29, is to conform us to the image of Christ. Amen. And that's sanctification, conforming that's us right. to the image of Christ. Yep. So, you know, last thing, so this all matters, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't just ivory tower theological conversations. This is life. You know, look at 2020, look at all of the challenging issues we face in 2020 and continue to face in 2020. I mean, I mean, here recording this, it's election day. We don't know what tonight, tomorrow holds, you know, but we know that God's going to work all things together for the good of those who love him. He's going to use it to sanctify us. And I don't necessarily like this truth, but one of God's greatest sanctifying tools is the suffering of his people. That's right. You know, um, persecution has been a, a, an incredible, incredible sanctifier of God's people mm-hmm. throughout history. In fact, there's even a, a church history saying the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. the church. That's, That's right. right. So um, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow, as the old saying Amen. goes. Amen. Yeah. But um, yeah, so how, let's talk one more practical question. How do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we pursue our sanctification? You know, if we're in partnership with God, we talked a few weeks ago with love and fellowship. Our fellowship is with the Father, which is partnership and with each other. How do we partner with God? In our own sanctification, or to use Paul's terminology in Philippians, how do we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? I think in a real practical way, it's got to come from being plugged into the source, right? All truth comes from God. And so having a close walk with God is so important. And I think the word, you know, it's a light for us. It's a lamp for us. That's what the scriptures tell us. And 
And it tells us it's got everything we need for life and godliness. Um, Second Timothy chapter three tells us it's God breathed, right? Mm -hmm. It comes from him. And so we have to stay plugged into the source. Um, you know, Jesus said in John 17, 17, uh, Father, your word is truth. And so if we believe that to be so, we have to stay plugged into the source. Um, so the word of God, I think, is key for our discipleship. And okay. when you see that, you know, the New Testament rarely uses the word Christian. I think it used the word Christian three times, but it used the word disciple over 250 times. And that word disciple, we can see the word discipline grows out of that. Mm-hmm. There's just a discipline that the Lord has called us to. He's equipped us with the whole, with his Holy Spirit and given us new desires, but there's a discipline that the Christian should pursue in knowing, reading the word, being in prayer with God, I think, and communicating as well um, through prayer, letting God know our needs, relying on him for all of our needs that we have. If you look at the Lord's prayer, right, you can take it apart and you can see that our daily bread, God, please provide for that. And then when he does to recognize it and to thank him for that. I think those are key essential things to our growth in the Lord. Um, Obviously fellowship is another critical aspect. Uh, It's good to have other believers in your life because we all have blind spots. And so Daniel, I may not see something that, that, is an issue of pride for me or something that you can point out as a brother and say, Hey, I don't know if you see this brother, but you know, you've got an issue here and I should humbly receive that and really analyze and, and, and grow in my faith. So fellowship, communion, those kind of things, I think are all very essential in our sanctification process. I know God's used a lot of people in my life at different times to speak those truths into me where I had a blind spot mm-hmm. and, and God by his grace has allowed me to grow then after that. That's good stuff. Let's, Let's, let's let uh, pick a specific mm-hmm. issue. So, Daniel's opinion. One of the great tools that the enemy is deploying in our culture today to hinder sanctification is sexual immorality, sexual mm-hmm. sin, whether it's pornography, adultery, uh, all those things. So, let's say we have a a husband and father who's listening to our podcast, and he's listening to all this and 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 the Holy Spirit's just screaming in his head right now. Your issue is, is lust, pornography, whatever, flirting it with a lady at work, whatever, some kind of sexual enticing temptation. Could you walk, walk this person, walk this man through the process of a spirit led repentance, what that looks like that results in sanctification? Sure. You know, I think, you know, sin can harden us right over time when we give into it enough I mean, I've been in that situation. I'm sure you have too. When you're in a valley, um, we see this with King David. Mm. You know, things just get worse and worse with his story. We don't have time to go into all of it with Uriah the Hittite, with Bathsheba. And it's almost like a crust kind of builds around you, a mm. protective crust that sin just brings on you. Uh, the book of Hebrews talks about this. Let us encourage each other so that we don't grow hardened to sin, right. you know? Yeah. And, when we allow that to happen, sometimes we lose our way. And so, you know, if you are listening and you are dealing with an issue like that, the first thing to do is to reflect and to see that sin. You know, you can't have repentance if you don't see that there's a problem. And right. so the first step in repenting of a sin is to confess it before God and to begin the process of seeing it and turning from it. Um, Confession is a big part of that. So crying out to the Lord. And here's the thing, if you've, if you've grown numb to that, maybe it's conversations with 
another woman, like you said, that at, in the office and it started out maybe and it was uh, no big deal, but now it's kind of turned into a big deal. The first thing to do is to break through that crust that has grown over you and to ask God to forgive you and for him to show you in your heart that it's sin. Because there has to be genuine sorrow for sin as well. You don't want to turn from something you're not sorry about, right? Um, Thomas Watson in his book says that one of the key elements before you actually turn from sin is you need to hate it. And the Bible talks about, I mean, obviously the you know, our enemy, Satan, is a deceiver and a liar, and he's here to kill, steal, and destroy. Mm, right. And so if you're in that situation where maybe it's pornography, even like you'd mentioned with the intimacy issues and, um, you know, and you're growing away from your partner, maybe your, your wife at home, um, you've got to break through that and you've got to develop a hatred for the things that God hates. And I think one of the keys to that is to stay plugged into the source Yep. And, and to cry out to him. Um, but then repentance requires, it requires you walk a different direction. And it's not just walking away from sin, but it's seizing something new. And so it's replacing it with something good. So if the intimacy, let's say the intimacy has gone in your marriage and you're looking at pornography, you need to cling to your wife. Um, or you started to have those conversations in the office. So that's not what God has for you. He wants right. you to cling to your wife. And so it's replacing um, what the void is making you reach out for. And so I think that's God-given repentance. It's mm-hmm. not just turning from sin, but it's replacing it with something that the Lord is pleased with. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and then, and then on top of that, that's all the individual with God. We're also partnership. We're also fellowship. And here's, what I think, the American church. I think it's true mm-hmm. to Canaan as well. We are so afraid for other people to know that we're sinners. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but in times like that, in times when I'm, you know, struggling and say, let's say the, the husband who's looking at pornography, um, his repentant, he cries out to God. He confesses it. He, he gains a hatred for that sin. Mm. That doesn't mean the enemy's now going to back off forever. Right. Right. So what does, what does, in the ideal situation, what does that biblical partnership fellowship look like to, for that husband from the moment he confesses that sin, repents of that sin? What should happen in the context of the local church to continue to help that husband? What do you think there? Sure. I think good Christian friendships are essential. Um, maybe through a small group or a friendship. I meet with a guy here at our church once a week. And we pray for each other. We confess sin. We ask each other to hold each other accountable to maybe share the gospel with our neighbors. So there's some accountability there. There's a structure in place. And that allows us to kind of look each other in the eyes and say, man, how are you really doing with the Lord? And it's a safe place. You know, you don't want to just confess your sin to anybody. But I think those friendships where you're free to just be who you are, like you said, and not cover up your sin um, are places where God can do some of his greatest works in your life because he can show you the gospel in that you can, you can confess your sin. And Jesus said, you know, whatever you bind in heaven will be bound on, you know, Mm -hmm. he talks about the binding and loosing of sin and, and you can declare over me, Daniel, if I confess a sin to you that your sins are forgiven and it's not you forgiving me, but you're telling me, Hey, I'm reminding you that Jesus Christ has forgiven your sins and you loose that. And, 
And so declaring those things to a brother who might be in need um, because of accountability is good. I also think it's good in the home structure to have accountability as well. Um, like with your devices, you know, in, you know, we're just talking about sexual immorality, for instance, if it's pornography, that might be a weakness, um, your wife to get like your updates through covenant eyes or some other sort yep. of some way that you can just keep the honest man honest, yep, you know, that's right. Um, I think those things are essential, especially, especially yeah, kids or, or teenagers in your home for sure, for sure. Um, to make sure that they're monitored, those devices. That's a that's a whole monitored. podcast, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you yeah. <laughs> absolutely with you, absolutely. Well, very good. Sanctification is such a critical part of our ongoing salvation. Mm-hmm. So, again, just to be clear, justified is when we were saved. Sanctification is we are being saved. Yeah. And glorification is we will be saved. Mm-hmm. So, and all of that's biblical. It's part of our salvation, mm, right? That's right. But uh, yeah, this this was really just focusing in that process of becoming like uh, like Jesus, the sanctification, the progressive sanctification. Well, thank you for joining in today. Just a reminder, um, we we pitched this last week. We are launching a new series at the beginning of 2021 called "Glad You Asked." And so, what we're looking for, especially from our podcast listeners, or what are your questions? It could be questions about the Bible, questions about what the Bible says pertaining to certain life situations. You know, maybe maybe it is. Well, how does the Bible address pornography or how does the Bible address cohabitation? That's a big topic mm. these days. And so love to hear what your questions are. And that way we can from the from Sunday morning sermons can address these biblically. So help us out by shooting us an email. You can email Martin or myself or just shoot it to info at canaanstl.org and help us build up that series uh, that'll be very helpful to people just answering real life questions. So the Bible is a very practical, timeless book that contrary to what many say is absolutely and completely relevant to today. So I'd love to hear your questions there. But thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you real soon on Canaan Podcast. God bless.